Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Jean Bereson. I'm Khadija Booth-Watkins. So we're two child and adolescent psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. And today we're going to talk about body image and young people. What to look for, when to worry, what to do when it comes to concerns about your kids and how they see themselves and how they think they're seen and may be judged by others. This is super important as a part of being a young person because, uh, you know, in all, all the years I've been kind of studying adolescence, image still tends to be super, like, if not number one, like close to the top. Um, and body image and its perception have broad impacts on the person's young person's life, their self-esteem, their confidence, their social interactions, and so much more. Um, so after all, no matter how we cut it, and this has been true for a very long time, image is still really important. Now, today we have a very special guest joining us to help us shrink it down and make sense of it all, Dr. Holly Peake. Welcome, Holly. Thanks for having me. So um, let me give a little intro. Uh, Dr. Peake was a resident psychiatrist at Tulane Medical Center in New Orleans. Uh, She graduated from our own MGH McLean Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Residency Program, where I was privileged to be her program director. I never could figure out how she could run in the sweltering heat, except that she's kind of a New Orleans person. So <laughs> it I, did I, not feel sweltering hot here. <laughs> oh <laughs> man! <laughs> I don't I know how you sound like it's possible to even use those two words together. Sweltering uh, hot in the Massachusetts. <laughs> it's just like so hot down there, and and humid. Uh, so she's assistant medical director of the Clarman Eating Disorder Center at McLean Hospital. And with a background in communications and media studies, her research is focused on the use of various forms of media by children and adolescents. She's also interested in using uh, media to improve access, to reduce stigma, and to increase mental health advocacy. Uh, and I might add, and I'd love to get into this, Holly, in another life. Mm-hmm. Holly was uh, Miss New Orleans. <laughs> a very so, different life. Well, yeah, but, you know, we, we should get into that because, you know, uh, where else are you? Is image so important? But um, I can't imagine the pressure uh, and the focus on image in that role. And I hope you can talk a little bit about it because you that experience, I think, is is... You know, it's one thing to talk about Instagram, which we'll get into, but it's another thing to actually, um, you know, be live and looked at and judged and, uh, I don't know, we'll get into it. So anyway, it's going to be a great conversation. But before we get started, let's start off with our own mental health check-in. Khadija, how's this past week been for you? It's been great. I'm just coming off of a sort of vacation. I mean, I didn't go anywhere really, um, stayed at home, but spent a lot of good quality time. Actually, no, I didn't stay at home. I road tripped down to New Jersey and visited one of my sisters and then went down to Maryland to see another sister and my niece and nephew. So it was, it was nice. It felt rejuvenating and recharging. And then I 
kind of sort of forced my son to go ice skating this weekend as well, which we both were terrible, but I think we had a great time once I was able to get past prying him out of the house, you know, getting the skates on him and getting past the first 15 minutes of being cold and, and off balance because we both were terrible, um, but we had a really good time. So it was a good week. How, how was your week, Holly? You know, I, I'm, as you're telling me about your week, I'm very jealous because I, I could use some, some of that time away from the workplace and I'm looking forward to this weekend. I'm taking a long weekend and going up to Vermont um, with my husband and our dog. Um, staying at a place called the Paw House Inn, which it's especially made for dogs. So I'm very much looking forward to that and some rest and relaxation. That's awesome. We just we just talked about how meaningful pets are in our life yeah. um, not that long ago. Um, yeah. How was your week, Jean? Oh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> no, it, it, you know I I I. I I can't help but wax political, uh, and and uh, it, it was not a very uh, happy week for me. I mean, to see um, what's going on in Ukraine, um, it colored my entire week. I, I you know, I, I'm a as you know, I'm addicted to the news, but but this is this is kind of like over the top. So um, it was kind of an upsetting week for me, uh, and you know, I hope you know, like. In most things, out of out of uh, adversity comes uh, some kind of goodness and some hope. So that's uh, what I'm hoping for. But it's been tough. Uh, plus, my you know uh, my my grandfather came from Moldavia, which was like right next to uh, Ukraine. So uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's tapping into that. But let's get to body image. Uh, and it seems as though we're constantly bombarded with images of beauty, strength, and the ideal body in the media. It shouldn't be too surprising that these images affect young people and how they view their own bodies. Uh, uh, but before we get into it, let's let's let Holly. What was it like being Miss New Orleans? <laughs> um, well, this was back in 2010, actually. So I was probably <clears throat> in my mid 20s at the time, and. You know, I, I think pageants get a really bad rap and rightfully so in some ways, but it, it wasn't all bad. Um, I got some, I had some good experiences, met a lot of great new people, um, a lot of kind of, you know, interviews and, and, you know, media training and stuff that was, I think, really valuable. Um, but, the, you know, the body image and the focus on appearance, in hindsight, I can say, I, I think it was damaging. And I, and there was a lot of pressure to look a certain way um, and a lot of competitiveness with it. Um, and a lot of people using, you know, you can call it performance enhancing methods to like look, look a certain way, whether it be like laxatives or diuretics. I saw it left and right. So it was very kind of like a, a toxic kind of body image um, culture and you're literally standing in a bathing suit next to 10 other girls. Um, and so, you know, comparison was kind of the name of the game. So, you know, I think they're, they're the good and the bad of being Miss New Orleans. I think the good certainly outweighed the bad, but just kind of being in the pageant system in general, 
certainly, you know, in my mid twenties, certainly brought to my attention what body image, good or bad, could do to one's self-esteem and confidence. When I when I think of pageants, I always think about Miss Congeniality, that movie, one of my favorite movies. I mean, I know it sounds like that's not really more of a typical experience, and there is a lot of emphasis on how you look. Um, do, do you think your experience in the beauty pageant world kind of shaped your interests uh, around body image and young people? I think to a certain extent, yes. I think that, um, you know, I think I always had some sort of interest in, in just kind of noticing how um, body image in, impacted different people. But I think anytime you have some sort of experience in your life that has impacted you, um, you have a sense of kind of wanting to help other people with it too. Um, so I, I think certainly, you know, I work with a lot of young women with eating disorders now, which certainly body image is a huge part of that negative body image and leading to these really dangerous and problematic behaviors. Um, so yeah, I think that experience certainly did kind of lead me in this direction and wanting to work with adolescent and young adult women who, who are struggling with certain things like body image. So one thing that, that jumps to my mind is, is uh, how, how you feel body image affects self-esteem and, uh, and, and, and why should parents or caregivers care about this? So, and and what, what conversations can they have with them, girls as well as boys, uh, to um, help, them, help them manage it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think we've seen consistently that body image and self-esteem, some it can be hard to disentangle the two sometimes. If, if one isn't happy or satisfied with, with the way they look, or if they're in the position that they're constantly making comparisons to other people, whether in their life or in the media, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, it, it can impact self-esteem. And I think it starts at such a young age, kind of almost like passively learning, you know, what, what's, what's a good body and what's a bad body and what's acceptable in society and what's not. And so I think the way that parents and caregivers talk to their children about it really kind of vary developmentally. And, you know, I, I think young ki younger kids, you know, instead of saying like, oh, you're so pretty, you're so beautiful, aren't you cute? You know, we're saying those in complimentary ways, but it is such a focus on, on their body and their appearance and how they're looking. How about, you're so kind, you're so smart, commenting on other things that, that are um, complimentary of the child. We really see body image and negative body image more so coming into play in, um, you know, pre-adolescence and into teenage years, so middle school into high school, particularly for girls, because often that kind of coincides with puberty and, and sometimes drastic and, and quick body changes um, that can happen during that time that, that draw attention um, um, to the changes in their bodies and comparisons with other people who may be developing in, in different ways at different times. And I think that you know, the way that caregivers and, and parents can talk to their pre-adolescents and teens, um, just kind of 
having an open mind about it and curiosity and, um, you know, if, if they start making derogatory comments about their appearance or wanting to change certain things about it, being curious about it, where it comes from in a very non-judgmental way. And then also in the home, kind of watching your own diet culture and self um, deprecating talk around your own body too, I think, I think is huge because kids pick up on everything. Um, and, and I think that uh, food culture in the home can, can play in a lot of body image concerns too. So I, I think the the idea of going back to what you said about the comparison and how that plays on self-esteem and how important self-esteem is, it, it makes me think about exposure and what kids are exposed to. And so I think there is more of a concerted effort like in the media and things around us to do more around being more inclusive around body shape, body size, but we have such a long way to go. Which brings me to, you know, we're going to get back to social media, but I want to talk a little bit about reality TV. And in full transparency, I'm not a super duper reality TV fan, but I do get, that's what I did on my vacation with my sister, because she is. So they watch <laughs> a lot of reality TV. Um, and you wrote this amazing article for us about the effects of re the reality TV on our young people. Um, and so I'd like to hear a little bit about your thoughts about how reality TV impacts our youth. Um, because what I did take away from your, your article is that a, a lot of times there's not there's blurred lines for, for young people when they watch reality TV between what's reality and what's not. And then what is also so striking for me is, is often in some of these shows, you have these amazing people who have great accomplishments. And at the end of the day, what we focus on is their their body, their drama, their, you know, all of those right. things that aren't really substantive and, and, and important. And so these are kind of the messages that I think that are being sent to young people that this is what's important, um, as opposed to really helping them hone in on like this person is accomplished, they have lots of businesses, or these are medical practitioners who have thriving practices, but the focus is not on any of that stuff, it's on the, the drama. And so right. can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. well, I think the name reality TV is such a misnomer and it kind of sets the stage for someone watching it and thinking they're like really glimpsing into someone's real life, you know? And, and I think that's where it gets blurred. I saw another, uh, I thought was a better word um, for reality TV. It called it a docu-soap because it's kind of like a soap opera, a documentary like soap, soap opera, like not really weird, but we're calling it reality TV. So we're assuming or going into it, assuming that it's real. When in reality, there are a lot of scripted things and editors are picking and choosing the drama that we're watching. Um, and you're so right. What is often focused on these things is not, you know, the day-to-day -day lives of, 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 you know, whether they have an accomplished career or whether, you know, the, the values within their family that, that are for good. It's, you know, more often than not, some sort of catty drama. And that's what we're talking about at the end of the day. And that's what keeps people watching too. There is something um, just like a soap opera. People, people continually go back to it. I think that, you know, I, I think of keeping up with the Kardashians, for instance, and, and how vanity um, and focus on the vanity that every member of that family has um, on themselves that really also bleeds into social media, too. And there have been um, studies 
and it, particularly with the Girl Scouts of America, did did some research around reality TV and really saw that, you know, those girls that watched more reality TV did place more of an emphasis on their appearance. Um, now, this, you know, I, I it, it's hard to say, you know, correlation versus causation, like what were people more focused on their appearance, more drawn to reality TV, but it was just pretty consistent across the board how those that watch reality TV do tend to have a more of a focus on their body image, um, vanity, um, and just a lot of interpersonal drama um, that, that occurs that sometimes, particularly kids who are like younger and impressionable can imitate in their own lives as um, acceptable. When as adults, we watch it and we're like, whoa, that's like completely off base of what happens in the workplace or what happens in book club, you know? Um, <laughs> Outlandish. Yeah. <laughs> well, are there any reality TV shows that you can think of that depict like ordinary, regular people in a truly more reality way, like that, that they're really focusing on the values and, and all the substance of the people? Yeah, you know what's so interesting is I, I was kind of thinking about that earlier today and nothing jumped out in my mind. And so I think that that says something. Um, I also don't watch as much reality TV as I used to as well. Um, so, I, so it's hard to say. I think that we try, um, but at the end of the day, TV is entertainment. Um, and that's what draws ratings and draws people coming back. I mean, I think of the concept of the, I mean, this isn't reality TV, but kind of the voice, for instance, it, it's a contest that is supposed to be based on someone's solely voice, not their appearance. The judges either turn around or, or they don't. Um, but, you know, after the, <laughs> after the first week, you know, it, it it does become a, about like showmanship and appearance. It's not all about the voice. I, so I think we try in certain ways with reality TV and contests and stuff, but the fact that nothing pops into mind, I don't know if you can think of anything. Um, yeah, we're, yeah, it, it's hard to think of something. I, you know, I'm thinking about representation in TV, like more scripted things um, that I think we're seeing more and more and even, even in like, Disney and Pixar cartoons and movies starting to see more representation um, of different sizes of bodies, which I think is a huge step. But I don't think we're seeing that as much in reality TV, which is so problematic because the word is reality. Um, I think if I think about where I see it most, I think it's really more like around musicians where they have they're trying, I see more in striking where the dancers are different shapes and sizes, whereas before they would really all be kind of uniform, you know, where there's yeah. more kind of talk about body image and shape and being proud and, and, and accepting of who you are more in the musical realm. I don't know that I, I agree. I don't know that I see it so much as it relates to TV. Right. Well, people are probably more interested in the music than you know, what, what, what the people look like. I mean, when I think of my favorite, some of my favorite, well, look at the Super Bowl. Oh, well, that's what I was thinking of. Like, and not the music, but the dancers. The dancers, the, the dancers were, were all different sizes, shapes and different yeah. confirmations and, and, and the stars. I mean, you know, uh, 
Snoop is thin, but you know uh, some of the other rappers are not. So okay, let, let me go. Let me let me go down another pathway here, though, and that is is that how much of our how much is our brain programmed towards um, uh, body image? How much is hormonal? How much is social environmental? So, for example, you know, is our brain and hormonal system geared towards certain kinds of body image? You know, we're certainly many of us turned on by various genders and it's called sexual preference as opposed to sexual identity. But uh, we're also turned on or off because of social forces. Um, you know, after all, and it varies from culture to culture. I mean, during the Renaissance, it was a sign of beauty to be more on the, the plump side. I mean, it was a sign of wealth, of, of opulence. Um, and, and in various different cultures, there are different standards for what counts as being um, uh, uh, beautiful. So what do you think about that, Holly? How much is, how much is predetermined? How much is socially driven? Uh, how much is culturally driven? What I feel is more, my thought is that I, I feel that what is genetic and what we're pre-programmed as human beings to do are social comparisons, because that can be a survival of the fittest sort of way to think about it, you know, to, to survive in this world. But the beauty standard I see is very social and environmental, because as you said, like the beauty standard can be different if you look at different cultures, but social comparisons are still there. And I think we've, we've seen some studies that have teased that out as well. Um, Ann Becker's study of Fiji, for instance, studying the population on an island in Fiji before the introduction of Western media, many of the, they were looking at women, but they really didn't have any signs of eating disorders or, or distorted body image or, or, or focus on that. But introduce Western media, magazines, I think at the time it was magazines, TVs, movies, all of a sudden, you're seeing disordered eating patterns, a focus on this thin ideal, negative self-talk, and, and subsequently, like, lower self-esteem when it came to their body image. And the really the only thing that changed there was the introduction of Western media. So I think that that was such an amazing study to really demonstrate the power that the media has. And then I, I think that there have been so many media studies um, that kind of show a correlation <laughs> between um, exposure to certain media and, and poor body image. But this one, uh, the Fiji study really kind of, in my mind, showed more of a, a cause. Um, and, and it was the kind of social um, environmental. If I recall, it was 1995 when they brought uh, U.S. TV to um, not just Fiji, but to South Africa and to, mm. you know, Canada and, and other places around the world. But, you know, it seems to me that, you know, uh, one of the most fascinating and uh, potentially destructive forces was the introduction of Barbie. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> I mean, Barbie is a physiological impossibility, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and... and <laughs> And, so and, true. <laughs> and, and and probably the most successful toy in history. Um, now I, I, I gather there are new Barbies with different 
colors, shapes, and sizes, which is, you know, Kind of. Not, not so much shapes, but definitely <laughs> colors and well, hair well, textures yeah. for sure. But I guess yeah. to your point, there's Barbie and then there's Ken. So in thinking about, we talk all the time about girls and how sure. girls are impact, impacted, but what about the boys and what's happening with them as it relates to body image? And are they impacted in the same way that maybe girls were by the Barbie, by the Ken, or by the the, the current day superheroes? Because they look much different than they did when I was going to the movies. I think about like... Jason Momoa and, and uh, <laughs> Thor, they look different today than they did yeah. way back when. Yeah, I, I think that we haven't paid enough attention to boys and male body image and the impact of media. We've, we've talked a lot of, about women, the female body image, but I think boys are just as, in, just as impacted. For some, it's certainly, they could have a diagnosis of anorexia or bulimia um, and really having that thin ideal. However, we, we see this desire um, kind of on the other end of the spectrum to really be incredibly muscular. Um, their problematic behaviors could be over-exercising in the gym, taking all sorts of pre-workout and workout supplements and you know, way more protein than anyone needs in their diet um, to try to enhance their, their body shape in a way that is not feasible for the majority of the population. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that male body image hasn't drawn the same amount of attention. And, and really, when you look at the DSM for eating disorders, it's hard to fit a lot of the male type eating disorders, um, predominantly male type eating disorders with like the kind of bulking up muscular within a neat box. Um, and I think we need to be talking more about it because I think there are a lot of men and, and um, boys who are suffering in silence and might think that they're the only ones. Yeah. So when it comes to eating disorders, a really important question is um, uh, what comes first, eating disorders or body issues mm -hmm. that, that evolve into eating disorders? Uh, you have a lot of experience with this, but what? Yeah. You know, I, I, my take is that for most eating disorders, and I'm, I'm speaking about anorexia and bulimia, there's other eating disorders too, but for anorexia and bulimia, poor body image and body dysmorphia is really a core of it that kind of starts, kickstarts the disordered eating. More people have disordered eating than have eating disorders. So I, I don't know what the statistics are in the US, but I think it's probably pretty high with disordered eating. And it's really fueled by a poor body image or wanting to change the way that someone looks. That being said, I think once someone is in it with their eating disorder and particularly for anorexia, they're incredibly malnourished and like a malnourished brain is an anxious and obsessive brain. And then that kind of can feed the body image, um, make it worse or better. I, I, I've seen some young women with anorexia who 
what what you see is certainly not what they're seeing um, in the mirror in the mirror, and that's definitely where the body dysmorphia comes into comes into play. But I really think that the poor body image is kind of the spark that that fuels the beginning of eating disorders. And then what? Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Sorry, Khadija. I was going to. So, what are we looking for if we want to kind of give parents, caregivers, like things to look out for, signs to watch for for their young people at home that should really kind of alarm them that there might be something going on, like this disordered eating that you speak of. Like, what are some of the things that we can look for? Yeah, yeah. I think that anytime you know the big ones that will be in your face will be if someone loses a significant amount of weight or falls off their developmental growth curve, that's the sign that there's something medically wrong or an eating disorder is at play and needs to be investigated further. But more often than not, there will be some subtle things that one might pick up on. Like, you know, I, I think a sudden desire to follow a certain diet, whether it be vegetarianism, veganism, any sort of, or, you know, fad diets that are out there that seem to kind of come out of nowhere. I would be curious with your child, like, what, why do you want to be a vegetarian? Why, why are you cutting this out of your diet? I mean, I think any sort of like sudden drastic changes in diet that, that are kind of obsessive and rigid, um, is, is kind of a sign that you might need to have a conversation more about that. And with that, like food rules, I can't eat after 9 p.m. or I can't eat, you know, before noon, <laughs> you know, like these things tend to develop over time as food rules. And, and the, the sad thing is that we think about all the kind of fads out there with diets that we've kind of normalized in a lot of ways, like fasting, um, no child should be intermittent fasting, <laughs> you know, and there are, I would argue that no one should be intermittent fasting as some others may argue differently as adults, but no child or teenager should be. So I think that any kind of food rules or things that you see, or, um, you know, I, I think that eating disorders can be very isolative and people's, you know, kids, stop wanting to do things they maybe wanted to do before socially, like go out and get coffee with their friends or go out to dinner, whatever it may be. They may start avoiding those interactions. We see changes in mood. Um, we see social anxiety. All of these things I think um, can crop up from changes in diet and, and poor body image and can be some more subtle signs that we might see. And and I think, you know, given some of the evidence-based treatments, um, uh, what do you think about how much of this is is based within the family? Um, uh, you know, not to say that there's any one particular cause of it, but what can families do uh, to... Um, to prevent this, I mean, you know, these girls, as you know, I mean, are sensitive, perfectionistic, uh, 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 and 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 uh, and are influenced by media and all these other forces. But what what what's your advice for what families can do to actually prevent this? Uh, yeah, you know, it's. I think 
as parents or caregivers or, or family unit as a whole, really watching your body talk and your food talk. So what do I mean by that? I think it becomes so commonplace, sadly, for people to say, oh, I need to lose some weight. No, I can't have that second helping, <laughs> mm, you know, finish your plate, you know, just kind of like making all these judgments about ourselves that kids pick up on. Um, I think that cutting that out of our dialogue <laughs> that we say out loud um, or, you know, working on it ourselves or in our inner dialogue too can can go a long way so kids aren't getting that message that they should be thinking about themselves and their bodies as in a self-deprecating manner. I think that um, any black and white thinking around food, there's no such thing as good foods and bad foods. Like if you want a cookie, have cookie, you know, in, unless there's like a, a medical reason not to. Um, but I, I think a lot of families in, in the name of health, um, with good intentions, you know, may not, you know, allow no sugar. You can't have any sugar. Like, I, I think some of those black and white statements around food can um, create as a, as the child grows up to have their own black and white thinking around food and it just be so ingrained into them when there's no good foods or bad foods. It's, it's all food. Um, and so then, I, I think just kind of as families watching our body talk and watching our food talk um, is something and just being aware of how much we are talking about it in front of our kids is, is a good first step. Um, it may not prevent it, a, a child from developing an eating disorder or low self-esteem or poor body image, but I think it's a good start um, and something that you could start doing now. And, and, per, and perhaps setting setting values uh, like kindness and gratitude and exactly. um, uh, uh, and, and and who you are is not how you look, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it's it's who you are as a person, uh, and and fostering other attributes. Um, what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. I hundred percent. I like that. You go, go ahead. So I was going to say to that point, and part of what I, I think about when you say that is we think about going back to our original or our earlier statement about just being in a place in a world that you feel like you're constantly being compared, there's constant judgment, and how do we help our young people kind of be comfortable in the skin that they're in and just accept themselves and mm -hmm. accept how they look and, and how they might feel about how others might see them. Just Just really, how do we kind of have conversations with our kids about that and, and help them kind of build that part of them so that they're not so susceptible or, or vulnerable to, to this eating disorder behavior and, and body image issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with Jean and kind of really thinking and think, thinking with your kids and your, and your family, your values. I, I've rarely, even when I'm working with my patients with eating disorders, and we have conversations about their values, they're having this thin body isn't necessarily truly in their top five values. There's other things that they want to be doing with their lives and the ways they want to live their lives in the world. So I think really a focus on, you know, who do you wanna be in this world? And is it truly, this all all about 
body image. I think if if only we could think about our bodies as bodies and and the function that they have for us and being thankful for that and not so self-deprecating around it and just kind of accepting your body for everything it can do for you. Um, And then putting the focus more so is how do you want to live your life in this world? And I, I think the more, I think that takes practice because we're so used to, you know, comparisons and, and we see it in the media, you know, we kids see it in their social media on their phone every day. They, they have diet talk at school, body talk at school, self-deprecating talk about themselves um, and, and really modeling for our kids and encouraging away from talk like that, I think can go a long way. Well, and changing thinking. It, it, this has been an incredible conversation. We could go on forever. Uh, and and I hope we can have you back to kind of talk more about this because eating disorders are um, incredibly complex and um, and and we, we can learn a lot. But to wrap up on a positive note, Holly, <laughs> is there something you're looking forward to next? Well, I know there is something. But uh, is there anything else you're looking forward to next week? Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Well, you already know my my plans with the dog this weekend. So that's that's the biggest thing. I am taking a trip to New Orleans soon um, for my med school reunion. So I am very much looking forward to that. And how about you, Khadija? It's a great week. I didn't even think about what I'm looking forward to next week. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, hmm. Oh, I'm going to do a vision board. My son who's in college, we're going to, we're going to do a vision board and compare. So that's what I'm going to work on. I haven't decided if I'm going to, you know, go old school and cut out pictures of, out of magazines or do it like electronically, but that's, I'm looking forward to having, sharing that experience with him. You, do you have anything that you're looking forward to, Jean? Oh, so many things. Uh, well, I've, I've just uh, indulged myself in getting some new, uh, audio equipment. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't stop spending money on, on audio. You're going to have to have a garage sale after a while. Well, I, I I have, I have a ton of instruments and, but, 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 uh, I'm looking forward to, um, getting back to doing soundtracks for uh, the Clay Center videos and, and, uh, creating music and, um, writing music and, uh, you know, uh, doing more of the creative side of things. So uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. So thanks, everybody. Uh, we hope that our conversation helps you have yours. I'm Jean Barresi. We're Watkins, and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>